I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Did you first play? I'll bet you could suck a golf ball through a garden hose. Good morning, Vietnam! You let me worry about that green beret. Napalm in the morning. Your first, last, and only podcast for the Vietnam War through film. Good morning, campers. Welcome to yet another episode of, what is our show called? Oh, yeah. I almost called it White House Plumbers. Um, Napalm in the morning. Uh, Black Op, Napalm Mini, White House Plumbers, episode three. And these haven't been as many as I think we think they're going to be. Yeah, we always think, oh, that's quick. We'll just pop one out here, and uh, there you are. That's like having a child, but it turns out it's a little more difficult than I thought. And we're joined by the big kahuna over there uh, on the left coast. Hey, Mike, how you doing? Uh, Cowabunga. <laughs> that's what Michelangelo says. Uh, yeah, that's where that comes from, right? Um, yeah, sure. So, yeah, this is uh, episode three of uh, HBO's White House Plumbers. Um, little Wait, I, th- I thought we were watching the White Lotus. Oh, God, All right. here we go. Here we go. That's if you're for your home drinking game, uh, that is, uh, that's uh, number one. Um, take a shot of your favorite beverage. For our drinking game, we have... Yeah, this is... Uh, Eric. This little Founders. Eric. Oh. <clears throat> How does podcasting work? I don't get it. I thought we were doing it at the end. Oh, we're going <laughs> to fucking do it at the end. Yeah, we don't have a beer to open. God damn it. You mentioned uh, drinking games, so I thought it was a good segue. I can't hear a word of it. You're missing out. Well, you hear it when you listen to the podcast, though, right? Oh, I think so I listen to my the pot, my own podcast, <laughs> or podcast I've been on. All right, what are we drinking? This is, uh, I guess, in honor of the kind of sneaky, covert stealthiness associated with this episode, I decided to go with a Founders Green Zebra beer. Everybody knows zebras. They're very covert, sort of. You know, it hides their numbers. Hiding in plain sight. Right, Right. but it it kind of hides their numbers so that, you know, a predator can't tell how many there are. I have a uh, pineapple, and it's good. I'm drinking the Vasamalun. It's really good. This is actually super delicious. How's yours? That's good. That, that that also speaks to the racial subtext of many of these episodes, the strong separation of white and black America. And we see that we see this in the banquet scene. So um, bravo on the uh, beverage medicine. Yeah, I was about to mention yeah. that. Thanks, Mike. Yeah. So I I uh, I actually tried to think ahead of time and was went to the liquor store and was at a loss and wound up bringing home an oil can of Foster's because that's what I remember my dad drinking in the early 1970s. Yeah. Okay, that works. And then, yeah, I, but then I remembered the title of the episode. Yeah. Don't, Don't drink, drink the whiskey, whiskey at the Watergate. Water so I made uh, a whiskey roni, which uh, is... Uh, it's whiskey with whiskey pepperoni in macaroni. it? Oh, macaroni. Whis- whiskey, whiskey and pepperoni. <laughs> uh, whiskey with a pepperoni dunked in there. No, um... <laughs> Uh, good whiskey with um, uh, those other two things that go into a uh, Negroni whiskey. What are they? <laughs> vermouth and uh, vermouth and um, the other thing. The other thing. Which good. That sounds forgot. delicious. I was, I, was, I was I was very excited to do my mixology moment and completely failed. <laughs> Hell of a bartender. Anyway, um, so what 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 happens in this episode, guys? Yeah, this is a this is a good, we're we're getting down to the heat of the meat, as they say. You know, this is uh, um, they say that. Uh, they, Never heard the that. Kids do the okay. the. We're gonna see the, this is this is the break ins episode, and um, spoiler alert for Mike who didn't know any of this. Like, it does not go well. Um, yeah, for your heroes, there. Um, yeah, episode our, our, our buddy our buddies. Yeah. Yeah, the episode begins uh, May 26, 1972. We hear John Chancellor of, of NBC News announcing Nixon and Brezhnev signing the SALT Treaty. Um, let's take a step back previously in time. Let's take a quick listen to Richard Nixon at his inaugural 
address. After a period of confrontation, we are entering an era of negotiation. Let all nations know that during this administration, our lines of communication will be open. We seek an open world, open to ideas, open to the exchange of goods and people, a world in which no people, great or small, will live in angry isolation. So that's Nixon talking about... Angry isolation. Maybe uh, hitting the reset button, if you will, with uh, the Soviet Union. Hashtag lock her up. It was a different different administration with the big reset button, right? I stepped on your line. Hashtag lock her up. Yeah, that's why why we need to lock her, him up. Um, Yeah, talking about kind of resetting things, cooling things off with the Soviet Union. um, Part of that is going to be salt. Uh, here's Nixon uh, announcing a heightened focus on nuclear arms talk with the Soviet Union. This is uh, May 20th. Salt is Strategic Arms Limitations Treaty. Yes. Um, what, what about what about Peppa? Peppa Pig? Salt and Peppa here? Oh. Yeah, you can tell I have a young kids. Um, what the hell was I saying? May 20th, 1971. So the talks... Oh, no, ang- ang- angry isolation. Talks had actually been going on. Describing my the ro- my role in my department. Oh, I thought you were talking about your penis, but um, <laughs> oh my god, talks have been going on since '69. Uh, um, Nixon is announcing kind of a I don't know heightened focus on uh, arms limitation talk with Soviet Union here. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, the Soviet-American talks on limiting nuclear arms have been deadlocked for over a year. As a result of negotiations involving the highest level of both governments, I am announcing today a significant development in breaking the deadlock. The statement that I shall now read is being issued simultaneously in Moscow and Washington. Washington, 12 o'clock, Moscow, 7 p.m. The governments of the United States and the Soviet Union after reviewing the course of their talks on the limitation of strategic armaments, have agreed to concentrate this year on working out an agreement for the limitation of the deployment of anti-ballistic missile systems, ABMs. They have also agreed that together with concluding an agreement to limit ABMs, they will agree on certain measures with respect to the limitation of offensive strategic weapons. The two sides are taking this course in the conviction that it will create more favorable conditions for further negotiations to limit all strategic arms. Okay, so that's a taste of Nixon dis- uh, discussing that. He announces later on, um, I think he announces in February 72, um, this is coming off the heels of his trip to China, that he is going to go to Moscow which is also a very big deal. The president had Nixon not been there. Nixon went to China? He did. Nixon went to China? That's like Kirk going to Colombo. We Yes, we covered that in our uh, Nixon episode, Mike. If you would yeah, pay attention to the listener. podcast that you are uh, on sometimes, you should uh, go back to the archives and take a listen. We covered that in great... You guys have a podcast? Great. Oh, my. <laughs> this is being recorded. <laughs> um Almost cancels it because of the Easter offensive uh, in the war in Vietnam, which is which really lasts until October, I think. Mike might even know better than me on this, but so, so it was it was more like Orthodox Easter. But okay, Orthodox, yeah, the Vietnamese were Orthodox, I believe. So, um, yeah, so that's an offensive by the North into the South, just a heightened as the U.S. is pulling more and more and more troops out due to Vietnamization. You know, as we get to seventy two, they've got you know under hundred thousand. I should say to give to give Dixon some some credit, you know the the United States and Soviet Union had been like at, a, at an insane escalation throughout the well, since post war, but the sixties and and the missile crisis and um, you know the the I forget the numbers, it, you know eight times over the planet could be completely destroyed from the enough the, times, the, yeah, yeah right and so um, uh, and just more and more brinksmanship on on both sides and so like appealing back a little bit from that um precipice is uh is admirable for any any president to do and so um it was pretty it was pretty heady to that with the war you know raging in the background is um it's kind of wild 
this is part of his kind of more broad triangulation strategy of, of China, Soviet Union, uh, Vietnam, attempt to kind of play them if they can or use them if they can uh, against the other one, um, drive a wedge, hopefully, between them. Um, he does go. He does not cancel. A wedgie? A wedgie? Uh, not a wedgie, what a wedge. Um, long, long as it's not an atomic wedgie. <laughs> Or atomic wedge. So he does go. He arrives the 22nd, I believe, of May, 72. Uh, May 23rd, they sign agreements on the environment, public health, medical science. The next day, May 24th, cooperations on space, science, and technology. There's other things signed as well. And then SALT itself, after it seems, you know, at the last minute, maybe a wrench could get thrown in this, but it is signed May 26th, 1972. SALT limits the number of anti-ballistic missiles. Uh, missile sites that each site could have to two ABMs were uh, missiles designed to destroy an incoming missile. Uh, the number of intercontinental ballistic missiles, submarine launch base missiles are frozen at existing levels. Um, and there's more to it than just that. But um, SALT is a good start and more negotiations are going to continue leading up to SALT 2, which is signed and not ratified in 1979 so it doesn't actually I, re- happen. I remember i remember salt too i do not remember salt was the sequel better than the original salt too more saltier well they didn't they didn't get salt too electric boogaloo yeah so um the 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 uh, matt and i were talking in terms of in terms of history you know the it does a decent job i mean it it fudges a few things like that, that, um, you know, Marine one landing when, um, when they're breaking in, like not, not all of these things are happening at the exact same time, but you have to take a little license. As, as it's pretty close yeah. because that, that the sign May 26th and May 26th. We also have, once we jump back into the show. Yeah. The, the attempt. Uh, the attempt. So we got, this is, Attempt number one. Um, can I can I make an apology to our listeners? Yeah. Um, in our first episode, remember the first episode at the very beginning of the first episode of the White House, White House Plumbers, they show them attempting to break a lock and failing because they didn't have the right tools. And it says, like, second break-in attempt in the bottom of the screen there. You, you got very upset. And I called them out on that, right? Okay. Yeah. And this is before I did my deep dive research on this because it was a different topic that episode. I was basing that comment on an interview I read with Tim Neftali, who I believe is at NYU currently, and he's the former director of the Nixon Presidential Library. So I thought, fairly decent source. He said it was the first break-in attempt in the interview I read that they had the lock issues. Now, perhaps it depends on your definition of a break-in attempt, because the one we're about to cover now, they don't actually attempt to break in, sort of. But anyways, I just wanted to clarify and sort of maybe par, par, partially apologize. I don't know. Yeah. Um, while, while we're on the issue of public apologies, <laughs> yeah, Mike. I would like to, <laughs> yeah, I would like to point out that uh, Casey Bloys, the new CEO of HBO, his Twitter account at uh, Casey Bloys uh, has been promoting somebody somewhere, has been promoting Barry's succession. Uh, various HBO high-profile shows has not been promoting uh, the White Lotus Plumbers uh, or whatever the show is called. And let's uh, light him up. Casey Boys, CEO of HBO, do better. Uh, we will at you like a motherfucker. Yeah, come at him. Say, hey, guy. You know, let's our 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 armies. Is this uh, the same know? guy that's been busy like um, putting a blowtorch to like all the archives of all these like different companies that HBO now owns or is partially owned by or whatever? I don't know, but he is very is sh- very shiny skin in his headshots, <laughs> and um, I don't even I don't know. If I know, like I couldn't like like Westworld, like I couldn't see the like the season one, like it doesn't exist on their HBO, and that I pay for anymore. Like really, yeah. Go look. The 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 recent series not there. Um, it was like it's very very Stalin. I know they were getting rid of all the old Looney Tunes. I'm starting to see why these episodes aren't like a half hour. Okay, these Napalm minis. <laughs> yeah, we haven't even got first break in. <laughs> so the the big issue um, there's there's an alarm in the banquet hall, and um, 
So they they have it actually pretty good idea. I don't think they do. They mention the alarm in the show. That's that's real life. There's an alarm. I don't remember if they mentioned that in the show, but but the smart idea is get a get a get a room in the hotel um, or in in the sorry uh, uh, where the offices are and and have a have a have a have a party there. Yeah. So well, this get, is get 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 a room is frequently a smart idea. Yes. This is the Watergate complex. What is the Watergate complex, Eric? So for those of our listeners that aren't familiar with it, KSS. Yeah, it's uh, you know this. Uh, it's it's one of the first things you see. You should drive in if you're driving into uh, from Reagan Airport into uh, into. Uh, Do we have to call into it that? DC. Do we really have to call it that? Isn't it national? It's national. Right? National airport. Um, uh, you see the Watergate complex, and it's. Uh, uh, it's a big Mac, you know, six building sp- sprawling uh, construct in the Potomac, uh, 61 to 71 hotels, apartments, uh, uh, commercial space. And the DNC's offices were on the sixth floor there. So yeah, it's right next to the Kennedy. Center. I almost died right there. There's that kind of curve in the road there and a truck changed lanes. I was on the left side of the truck. The lane didn't end or anything, but the truck just, just decided he wanted to be in the left lane when I was like right next to the truck. So he just, so he just went. so he just went into the left lane, and I ended up going off the road. So, thanks, buddy. Did you hit anything? No, I didn't hit anything. Wow, I was good. But yeah, that was that was right at that curve, right by the Watergate there. So they um, right by the Thai embassy. A little fun fact. Um, so yeah, they got a banquet room that they reserve um there is a transportation con- convention at the watergate at the time so i think that is why they use that cover they mention like oh uh <laughs> we're a maritas we're a I like transportation the, the movie they have played just like trucks like you know like uh yeah they loop that like something your three-year-old would love it was, like, that it, was, th- it was the recovered video of matt almost getting killed on the watergate bridge. <laughs> yeah exactly dash cam video so in real life, they looped that, uh, played it twice uh, because they were there so long, um, waiting for, you know, the right time to to go. Um, and most of the guys leave um, to go to McGovern's headquarters because, you know, they're closing up shop. It's time to get out. Um, Hunt and Vio stay behind. Is the, is the soup issue accurate? Don't know about the food situation. I'm sorry. Okay, so most of the guys are heading to McGovern headquarters in D.C. And one of the things they need to do there is there are some lights. They're supposed to go to the back of the entrance, and there are some lights kind of in the alleyway there, and they want to shoot them out. <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty funny scene where uh, Thoreau is, uh, he has his, uh, it's kind of a pellet gun um, that he's like sort of breaching and cocking and then trying to shoot this light out. Yeah, so uh, it's not it's not a pellet gun. That's a, it, well, it doesn't have a it doesn't have a per, doesn't have a percussion cap though. No, it was some kind of snuff nose thing that like um, he practiced uh, in his in real life. He practiced shooting out lights in his own fireplace with the gun ahead of time. <laughs> totally normal shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was, totally as normal. one does. Yeah, um, yeah, as one does a- after eating rat punches. <laughs> <laughs> In the show, there's just one light, right? Um, in real life, there were yeah. multiple lights. Um, in the show, they show him getting on the shoulders of, I think it was Sturgis, maybe, um, which is kind of a comical, sort of funny sort of scene. In real life, it's just him and Sturgis there. He does get on Sturgis, but Sturgis like is kind of on all fours, crouched down, and he stands up on his back. Like, how much does that help? You've also got to balance. He said like he said it was to. I don't. I, I don't know, but that's change. Really <laughs> change the angle of okay because the angle wasn't right Which, for him to get. Change the that's angle. What he says. Angle. That's what he claims. So, um, what else? What else? Also, he tells the story of the sit-up contest he has, which bursts his appendix, which is, from what I can tell, a true story. Uh, he did have a sit-up contest. He This was in Korea, when he was deployed to Korea? Or? Yeah, and so he thought, he was told that it was like a tarantula bite or something, and that that's why he was having these symptoms. And, you know, he goes to an aid station. They kind of just pass the buck. Um, 
Liddy says, you know, I would know if it was a giant spider that bit me, whatever. Uh, go, he gets kind of ushered around to some different places, doubled over in pain. Uh, finally, it is, turns out, it is an appendix. He nearly died. He had been given last rites. He kind of, he passed out at one point. He collapsed, passed out. It was given his last rites. Jesus. Um, so, yeah, but at least he won the sit-up contest. Wow, well, where where was he doing boot camp where he could have been bit by a tarantula? I'm um, I didn't get the location. Sorry, Mike. Yeah, good question. Where was the? Maybe maybe in California. Yeah, could have been Camp Roberts or something. No. Um, yeah. So so uh, again, the we got to say good. Uh, since we're talking about Lady Matt, you want to hit us up with some uh, bro cream? Maybe it's time to talk about. Uh, uh, throws the the the, we saw a video where um the mustache if you're watching is glorious and 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 uh homegrown by thoreau but in 70s style he grows it you got to go from the back the top of the lip the hair has to go all the way down sort of covering the whole lip and so it's a it gives it that womb broom kind of effect um yes you want to give us a give us a little and 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 the hair the, the hair the glorious yeah Another important announcement from Brill Cream. Men, beware. Use one dab of Brill Cream. Just a little dab makes your hair look exciting. Anyone da- anyone's dad use Brill Cream or Grandpa? This man dare cannot remember it. That's some Brill Cream. Now in trouble. We refuse to be I've responsible. Used, I've used Brill Cream. Brill Cream, a little dab will do ya. Or watch out, the gals will all pursue ya. Now. There you are. Let's brill up in Jakarta. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I had, I used some brill cream as a punk rocker in the early eighties. Oh, nice. Uh, um, it, it has a, it had a smell to it. Maybe a menthol imagine. smell or something. Yeah. 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 All right, should we? But uh, I think there, there, there's a great line from The Sopranos about the, the feds are uh, so far up my ass I can taste the brill cream. <laughs> HBO, HBO show. Let's let's tell the real story of the McGovern office break in because this timeline is not accurate. Um, there is an uh, inside man. That is true. He is the nephew of Robert Bennett, who is Hunt's boss at Mullen Company. His name is Gregory Bennett. You may have noticed when he runs off in the show, Liddy yells out "Gutless Mormon" after him. <laughs> I think that might be a reference to the fact that he is a student at BYU who was in search of some college credits, who volunteered. Through some sort of backdoor finagling, managed to get he's placed in McGovern headquarters in D.C. He does hide in a furnace room, not the janitor's closet, as said in the show. Um, and he is supposed to let McCord only, not the others, McCord in after hours. But he's discovered. So then they sort of cancel it at that point. The kid starts getting cold feet from then on. The actual plan to hit McGovern's is to do it on... June 17th. Um, you might know that date because that's the date of the Watergate break-in. Uh, Gregory mm-hmm. quits prior to this, but had a different plan where they were going to pretend one of them was a typewriter salesman, and they were going to kind of sweet-talk the late-night guard into okay. letting them in with this typewriter that had a bug planted in it. They're running late on the actual 17th because they were – breaking into the Watergate. Uh, so that is delayed to the next day. They're going to do that the next day, the thing at McGovern's office. So it doesn't actually happen in real life. The, the, it had been so fun to be on these planning meetings, you know. Um, <laughs> hey, no bad ideas. Like, what's the, what's the, you know, what you got? Like, right, so we're, so we're typewriter salesmen. But by the way, did you, I don't know if they mentioned it this episode, but in the previous episode, the the general term for the kind of stuff they're up to, are RFing. Oh yeah, you want to talk about rat fucking? Rat fucking. Well, I mean, if we're gonna talk about rats, I mean, we can talk about. Oh, rat here we go. The Great Hanoi rat. Uh, That's your second uh, drink. Um. <laughs> sad. How you, sad. How long have you been sitting on that one? <laughs> what, what? Why am I yeah. here? <laughs> Who am I? Why am I here? Was that Benson? Like Benson? 
I know some Americans. Uh, well, speaking of drinking, we're gonna talk about. Or, or, or do we do we talk about the? Uh, we need the closet. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that one in an, an event that happened, which is with the name of the episode. Don't drink the whiskey in the in the Watergate. Um, Hunt and one of his accomplices. Uh, they're uh, they're they're waiting for you know everyone to leave so they can go out and uh, do this, and and security comes and locks the door. They're locked in. Um, so they go hide in the liquor closet, uh, in this banquet room they rented and they've got to go to the restroom. So, um, as one does, they, they grab a, a brown liquor bottle. I've got G Gordon Liddy here. Why don't we let him, uh, explain. We'd love to hear that. Let's hear his recounting of this. This is Liddy once again on the Letterman's program, June 3rd, 1982. The things amusing. I remember it took us three times before we got in the first time successfully. And uh, the second time that we unsuccessfully were in, Howard Hunt got trapped in a room and the guards kept coming by swinging their flashlights. So being the old OSS and CIA guy that he is, he hid in a closet. The closet happened to be a, a liquor closet. He was in there for eight hours and uh, things got urgent. And Howard found a bottle of red which was only one-third full, and by the end of the evening, that bo- w- let me just put it this way. If you ever go to the Watergate Hotel, under no circumstances, order scotch. Never. <laughs> so that's pretty much how they so he, do it in the show, too. He said it was the uh, CIA and OSS guys in the closet. I thought uh, this time it was the FBI who was in the closet. <laughs> or had Hoover, Hoover died, right. so maybe not. <laughs> yeah, okay. Oh boy, yeah. Where's my sad trombone? <sighs> so it was Johnny Walker Red in real life. Hunt uh, put some cigarette butts in the bottle so it would not be served. Somebody would know. Ah, I'm not going to actually give this to a guest. On honor amongst these, yes. yeah, exactly. very honorable man. Yep. So that's an end of that first caper. So one one thing we won't spend. T- tons of time on it, but they're they're showing tension at the Howard Hunt home, and uh, uh, you know him working a lot, and the the wife uh, wanting to take the family to to Paris on a vacation or France to vacation, um, and uh, so we're we're kind of inside the the Hunt home, and Lydia's there uh, for breakfast, and uh, I like the uh, the Mike. Do you play this game with your kids at home? Um, they play in the uh, Hunt household. Uh, f- find and kill the VC. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, that's a, that's a Van family standard. <laughs> They're uh, that in reenacting the uh, Russian roulette scene from Deer Hunter. We're more of a wow, Bay of Pigs wow, family. Him. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So the the there's a scene though there where the kid hides under the table, one of the sons, and then uh, he runs out uh, and the uh, one pulls a fake gun. And Liddy, of course, grabs his real gun and points it back at the kid, which you can see happening. We don't know if that's true. Do we know if that's true? I don't know if that's it, true it, specifically, but I can imagine him doing something like that. Well, it, it, it's like the X Files. I, I want to believe. I want. Yeah, it, it feel it yeah. feels true. Um, and you know the um, the actress playing um, Liddy's wife, uh, or um, not not Liddy's wife, uh, Hunt's wife, Cersei is is CIA like. She just does such a fantastic job of yes portraying the only one with any level of competence and just absolute disdain. And you know, I, I think that there's like a couple of little subtle things about racism and patriarchy that are gently worked into the script. Yeah, sort of. Or like it, she's the only one. Like, she's speaking Spanish to the to the Cubans. She's, like she's got a gift. For yeah, the, right. uh, the opera, like, and you know, she's got actually good thoughts about uh, proper spycraft. And these two bungling uh, buffoons are out there. Also, with the the, the banquet, I, there was some very like subtle but really good like sort of racial components to that casting, where it's an entirely black staff yeah. serving these white guys, and it's it, it's worked into it's worked into the whole series again in a, in a in a way that's very clear but not like didactic, like smack you over it's the head. It's pretty smart, um, I thought too. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I like that. I, more subtle than say Mad Men, for example. Right, where you got to talk about it, um, or that's the only thing you talk about. Um, so, uh, uh, white, 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 white. <laughs> okay, that's number three. Um, 
So, so at, at the Hunt household, they're talking, they're going to plan another break in and, uh, this one, they're going to walk right in the front door. And, uh, as far as anyone knows, it'll be our first attempt. Right. Cause they're, they're not, there's a funny scene later where he's like, yeah, you know, for attempt number four. And he's like, number four, because they, they don't know, his bosses don't know how many attempts they've actually made. Um, they, they, they pretend to have an appointment at the Federal Reserve. Um, and it's on, like, you know, it's on, uh, it's holiday weekend, Memorial Day? Wait, no, wait. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, and they sign in as Fidel Castro. Did that really happen, Matt? So, in real life, Hunt and Liddy were not with them when they go to the break-in. They are. They were back. At, they are uh, in the hotel right. portion of the Watergate, but they are not there with them. Uh, they Cubans go up, as depicted in the show. They attempt to pick the lock at the DNC. They fail because they don't have the right tools. Um, in real life, Liddy does go up with a couple of the Cubans and does sign in the guest book, but this is later because Liddy wants to go check that, like, they haven't scratched up and, like, totally defaced the lock to basically tip off somebody that somebody's trying to been in. trying yeah. to break in. So when he does that, he does just kind of walk right in and just signs the guest book and just goes. Uh, but he, as depicted in the show, it's not 100% accurate. Um, there is one thing with McCord. He's shown kind of wandering off at one point which he was prone to do um, fairly often, kind of just kind of would disappear. And everybody would be like, where the hell did McCord go? Uh, he is recognized by a couple guards when he does that. And he's kind of what he admits. He says yeah, he, he volunteers. For- yeah, I'm working for the committee to relax. Yeah, yes, yeah. So I don't think that actually happens, but um, a couple days after they're actually caught on June 17th, um, a police officer recognize he's using a fake name with the cops, like for the first like day or two. And so they don't know who actually he actually is. But then after a couple of days, a cop does recognize who he is. He's like, Oh, I know him. He's Jim Accord. Um, and so that's how his actual ID is found out. So that's he's, probably he's a, he's why a, they're bar they're creep. borrowing from that. He's a creep. Uh, actual. He's a weird, he's a weird what the hell am I doing yeah. here? He doesn't belong. I, I don't belong here. I'm sorry, Matt. You were saying something? No, I wasn't. Break in number three. Uh, Hunt is starting to get a little bit mm, not sure about how this is going sort of thing. We cannot break in a third time. We have not broken in once, Liddy says. Um, McCord tapes the doors open ahead of time. Uh, And this is when we get a little bit of a montage. So they're going to go in through kind of the parking garage in the basement. McCord is taping the doors to get access to the complex via the parking garage. He's taping them open, and then they're going to go in that way, and he tapes a couple other doors too to, to get them in, and then they're going to get access, break, pick the locks, etc. So we get the montage of them doing all this stuff as Nixon arrives uh, at Congress to deliver a speech. Uh, this is, I'll just play a brief part of what you hear in the show. This is Nixon's address to Congress. For the American people. Everywhere, new hopes are rising for a world no longer shadowed by fear and want and war. And as Americans, we can be proud that we now have an historic opportunity to play a great role in helping to achieve man's oldest dream a world in which all nations can enjoy the blessings of peace. So we hear that. This is where we have a bit of a timeline issue because the third break-in is the 28th of May. And the address to Congress is June 1st. These are all forgivable sins. uh, Um, I mean, I don't know, you know. Not from a historian standpoint. Yeah. Well, that's what we're for, right? We're here to just and kind of... You guys probably don't like Pocahontas as their favorite accurate movie. Uh, the Disney version? Yeah. Oh, gosh. And, and, he, and Nixon, go, 
Nixon goes on in that speech to talk about what historians will say about what the United States did in 1972, right? He does, but I didn't want to play the entire speech. It's like 20 something minutes. So. I was just thinking like what Sorry, if Mike. what if uh um a Republican says would say that now, that same thing now, but he'd be like you know, booed out of booed out of office. Um very different party. Yeah. Cubans have brought their Lock picks is they, written down in the notes, but I think it's supposed. Is that lock? They're they're lock picking material. Lock yeah, picking. they okay. they went to Miami, got the got the right tools for the job. Right, um, got the right picks, and then uh, they take tons of photos. They bug phones. They place a fake smoke detector with some kind of listening device inside. They're very proud of themselves. They get party montage. The high five and yeah, quick quick check on reality here. They do plant some bugs and tap. Uh, couple phones, I believe, and photograph, I think, one and a half rolls of film they use. So not a ton. Um, the main goal is supposed to be to photograph stuff, but they don't do a ton of uh, photography there. It's uh, the Cubans and McCord. Uh, I'm actually using Cubans a little bit loosely because Frank Sturgis is not Cuban. He's Italian-American, but we'll just go with that. It's, In addition. What, what, have, we, have we gone over him? Who is he? What is he? Is he mobbed up? Sturgis is was uh, I know of. CIA. I think yeah, CIA. he was intelligence, a different yeah. mobbed up. Okay, because he in a, in a one discussion he talks about being um, CIA and working for Castro. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Another thing they don't show in this show, they haven't showed it at all. There are two other Cubans that are there in these break-in attempts, and they are kind of acting as guards, sort of outside in the hallway or whatever. Right to tip off the the dudes that are inside. So there's actually two more to this. Hunt and Liddy again. They're not there in the show. They're there. They're not there. They're in the hotel room at the Watergate. They are monitoring. They are monitoring from there. They are unit one. The guys that are doing the break in are unit two. Unit three is another set of eyes. Is the set of eyes at the Howard Johnson across the street, name of by the name of uh, Alfred Baldwin. The the their third break in is proven quickly, and I like the way they did this in the in the series. They sort of they you know they lure them in, Hunt and Liddy, like, hey, this is great. Like this, is, let's listen to your you know, here's a transcript from what we got, and it's quickly um, shown that you have the secretary making hair appointments. Yeah, and then the on the only bug that works, the other ones don't work at all. In the show, it's like within a day or two they have this information, right? Isn't it very quickly? Yeah, it's... So, in real life, I think it takes a little bit more time before it's sort of clear that they don't have some really good intel coming from this stuff. Um, and getting the the film developed, you know, you, they don't go to Walgreens or whatever, uh, obviously. So, they need a guy, you know, to do it. And uh, they actually have... They go down to... Hunt goes down to Miami... Meets with, I think it's Barker maybe there. And oh, they go all the way to Miami. To so he goes to Miami and, you know, he's like, gives it to, I think it was Barker. Hey, have have your guy uh, develop this or whatever. Barker doesn't know that it's the film from Watergate, so he just takes it to, you know, the local whatever <laughs> photo development place. And then <laughs> comes back and, you know, Hunt's like, that's the Watergate stuff. And so then they go back to the place and kind of like, hey, um, can we get that film back? And the dude had already kind of looked at it and it's like, ooh, some pretty interesting stuff here, you know, whatever. Um, there's, <laughs> let me just do, say. Do, you, do we need to explain that to the younger listeners? Uh, oh. <laughs> yeah. We used to take film and have to take it somewhere. And it was a big innovation. That like weirdos looking at your park. pictures. Yeah. Yep. Sometimes making duplicates. I think there's a good Robin Williams film about that. Oh, yeah. That's not bad. One. There's a Seinfeld episode too, where George his, dark, plays. his darker material. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so the so the creep is mad at them. Look, this is useless. And um, but uh, Hunt and Liddy have a new plan, uh, which is a great one. This is foolproof. <laughs> okay, hear me out. Hear me out. We get Michael Van. <laughs> we take him to McGovern's. We we load him up with uh, with uh, you Put know, him, liquors and tons of LSD. Yeah, sold. <laughs> we bring I'm him to ready. Miami. I am ready for this. C Cobra venom, all of it. 
So, and, uh, yeah, they announced this. Uh, Liddy is hunting the room when they're no, no, wait, you, you didn't get to the point. And to get, get the hippies high and have them piss on the rug of the presidential right. suite. <laughs> right. And so they're telling this to um, uh, John Mitchell. Dean. Oh, D- Mitchell? Dean. Yeah, to Mitchell. And the view of the press. And so, in reality, this is planned. This is set up. The Cubans in Miami get the hippies to do it. They're from, like, the Grove in Miami. And they get, like, 15 or 20 guys that they're going to have do it. All guys. And they're going to, like, have yay McGovern signs and vote McGovern buttons on and everything. And they're going to go... And they want to get so the press can see them and then piss all over the rug or whatever. Like, just whip whip it out and just go. And so they actually have this ready to go. God. And Mitchell does nix this idea because he will be staying in that same suite the next weekend. Okay. <laughs> the timeline on this one's a little shaky also because Liddy doesn't tell Mitchell this plan until June 15th which is two days before Watergate. And in how it's depicted in the show, it seems like it's like a right away, yeah. couple weeks and, earlier. And, and also the geography doesn't quite track with me. Like if they're getting hippies from the Bohemian Grove, how are they getting them to Miami? Because Bohemian Grove is north of uh, San Francisco. I think it might be a different grove. Yeah. Great, I, great, or maybe I'm remembering the name of the podcast humor area wrong. <laughs> Uh, well, um, we're on to the fourth attempt, uh, much like, um, Mike's joke, deep jokes. Um, they're, uh, they're, this one is the successful one, you know, photograph everything successful in the bottom left, (laughs) bottom left hand drawer. So this one, they're given a mission, something, do we know anything about that? Like, how do they know there's supposed to be something in the particular drawer? So... You get, depending on the source, you get some different uh, information because O'Brien's already gone. He's already in Miami at this point. So they're not, what they <laughs> what they th- think there might be some intel um, on re- the Republicans in that is one reason they're looking there. And the first time they went, they were supposed to take lots of pictures and they didn't take a ton. So they want to focus, focus on photos, photos, photos. So they get like... 50 rolls of film and six cameras, I think, for this one. Um, And they're supposed to, as they explain in the show, he says, focus on everything in that bottom left drawer. Uh, That is true. They wanted to get the stuff out of the desks, but then um, just in general, photos, photos, photos. Uh, And then also fix the taps that weren't working. Okay. Um. Yeah, so we we can do some kind of fact checks back and forth. We'll kind of maybe jump back and forth between uh, reality and fake reality. Um, it's June twelfth when Liddy's told they want him to go back. So they're so they're there. The guard finds tape on the door. Um, oh, this is before. I mean, I guess when they're in the guard finds, and then um, again, uh, I guess th- this is true true to the reality in this one, Hunt and Liddy are not in the room, are not in the break-in. They're, they're across also. Um, yeah, they're the, at the, the hotel. Water, in the hotel yeah. um, with his shiny pants. I like that. <laughs> Making fun they're of. Good, uh, they're, they're good looking pants. A great pant. I want those pants. Yeah, I might have those pants. Um, and, uh, and, and uh, so they, they come back and they get, they're going to have a little vote, right? And Hunt, uh, Hunt is, Hunt is souring on this idea. Uh, wants to abort, and he gets outvoted. Yes, that's uh, how it's depicted in real life. There's not a vote. Um, Hunt expresses his desire to right. not do it, thinks it's a bad idea. Uh, but Liddy is technically the point man on this, and he decides to go for it. So, therefore, they're going to go for it. And in the narrative of the show, uh, his Liddy, or Hunt's wife has been trying to talk him out of it. Yeah. Yes. Right. Again, the voice of reason. And there's some family drama. He was supposed to go to Paris with them. He actually has some really good advice to uh, the one daughter on how to visit the Louvre, go right past the Mona Lisa and go straight to the Wreck of Medusa. Yeah, Solid that's advice. not bad. Not bad advice. <laughs> um, but there's some family drama going on, and uh, I get nervous every time his wife boards a plane. <laughs> 
because the uh, as long as it's not headed to Chicago, it's okay. Because uh, because they're smoking in there. Well, I can uh, we want to think thing of. Uh, I don't think we want to spoil yeah. it. They're gonna, we're, I'm assuming we're going to get to it. So, do you guys remember smoking on planes? By the way, I do not. I remember the smoking section and the non-smoking section. Oh, man, it was intense. Oh, you're just and it was ridiculous because you, you you could be seated in the smoking section could enter row fifteen, and if you're in row sixteen, somehow that smoke doesn't move across. And I've got I don't know. This is a podcast. You can probably hear me wheezing. I've got asthma. I remember as a kid being seated right in the middle of smoking, and it was wild. And Today, every, as I was, every armrest I was, had an ashtray. I remember the ashtrays. Oh, I've got yeah. scars. Yeah. I've got a scar on my arm from about four years ago on a uh, flight to Jakarta where I, I bumped into an ashtray in a, in the lavatory that was open. Um, like why, why there's still ashtrays in these planes years later. But today, my my thirteen year old daughter asked me if it was legal to smoke in cars while you were driving. It's like, honey, <laughs> let me tell you. Let me tell you about let the old days. Let me tell you something. Yeah, <laughs> free for all. Required to smoke. Wild West. They uh, the door is taped open yet again. What I what I do we know why do they need once they're in why do they need it taped why not take the tape off they don't they they should have taken the tape over, off yeah because the doors oversight. open from the inside so right they could have gotten out but so that was a big calculated error and they yeah. actually show at, I forget which break in this is the May twenty eighth break in maybe in the show they show them going through the underground garage going in that door and then Hunt takes the tape off and puts it in his pocket. So Hunt is aware of the tape being right a thing. Do you want to, you did you did a little deep dive which is really interesting. You want to talk a little about Frank Willis, Matt? Well, I thought you were going to talk about missing tape because I thought that becomes an issue in this whole story. Isn't there some missing tape? Uh, how many minutes? Yeah. Again, again, I don't I don't know much. I don't know much. All right, stay with me for another 18 and a half minutes. Um the security guard, Frank Willis, he worked the Midnight to 7 a.m. shift. He's paid a robust $80 a week. Pretty good. African-American gentleman. Uh, African-American gentleman. Just after midnight, June 17th, 72, noticed the tape covering the locks on the stairwell door. Figured a maintenance crew had mistakenly left it there and removed it. This is part of the thought process in Hunt Liddy's head. Hey, maintenance guys do this all the time. If a security guard sees it, they won't think a ton of it. So, therefore, probably not a huge deal. Uh, he took a shift break for a meal, returned roughly an hour later, see the tape had returned. In a security log, he wrote, 1.47 a.m., found tape on doors, call police to make an inspection. I have posted that on my personal Twitter account. Uh, maybe I'll link that over to the Napalm account, the photo of that security log. Um, oh, nice little touch. Yeah. He quit his job in 1973 after he was refused to raise. He had trouble finding work after that. He kind of feared he may have been blackballed in Washington. Uh, but he is the, actually... The, the three, 3M was lobbying against him. <laughs> Tape makers. <laughs> Robert Redford cast him to play himself in All the President's Men. So if you have seen All the President's Men and you see that scene in the movie, that is actually him. So that's cool. Uh, in the late 70s, he was returned south uh, to care for his ailing mother. Uh, he works as a guard. He works as a salesman for Dick Gregory's nutrition formula. He is arrested for shoplifting a $12 pair of sneakers in 1983. Charge he denied. He said he was hiding the shoes kind of, you know, in a so, sort of on his person as a present for a teenager who was shopping with him. And he didn't want the teenager to see him. That's what he says. Um, so he is convicted. He's sentenced to over a year in jail. So Nixon, pardon for his crimes. He serves a year in jail for the $12 shoes. Spends the rest of his life in poverty. Dies of a brain tumor in the year 2000. Um, not too cool. Hey, that, that, that's kind of a sad story. Could we it get is. them to re rewrite that for <laughs> yeah. the series? Um, yeah, in the uh, rewrite, that's who, definitely. Who was, that C was that CEO where they were calling out? Let's put, let's put a happier ending on that. Yeah. yeah, it's tough. That's tough. Um, the uh, now we have here the um, in in the in the uh, this is Hunt and Liddy back in the room, uh, ruminating over uh things like the JFK assassination, right? Well, ruminating. I mean, that it's 
is Hunt trying to do his job and Liddy being a lunatic <laughs> and pestering him with questions. I mean, Liddy's got the solid bro crush on Hunt that's been developing over the, the arc of the series, right? Right. He wanted to be him, in until, yeah. Yeah. And he's asking him questions about the CIA and, and, uh, references at several points uh the jfk assassination and also um meyer what was her name um is it mary Meyer? i'm not sure um sorry i didn't get her first name in there but uh she was one of jfk's um lovers uh who was assassinated and uh, murder or excuse me she was murdered in dc un unsolved crime eventually someone stood trial um but then uh, that was uh, he was found not not guilty. Sounds and like Seth suspicion... Rich. Is this turning into a Sean Hannity segment? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the suspicion was that uh, you know she had um, she had known something and got got off her. He, he references her, uh, Liddy says, "Oh, my, my theory is um, uh, her husband knew something, so to scare him off, uh, you guys killed him." And then uh, Hunt tries to respond with, "If we killed yeah. every all of JFK's mistress mistresses, it would be a genocide." <laughs> um, but but there's also these weird uh -huh. these weird connections between Hunt and the JFK assassination. He's he's station chief in Mexico City when um, Oswald is down there, and there's lots of suspicion that he was in Dallas on. Um, he says he has an alibi. Yep, as as he told the Warren Commission. Which uh, was totally bulletproof. I think it was the um, um, the uh, not what, what what was the what was the uh, administration's rival to the Church Commission? Because um, the Church Commission starts and they they ran their own commission. Um, the oh, I understand. Um, you guys know limited hangout stuff. Rockefeller Commission. Is that is yes. the Rockefeller Commission? Yes. Which like was limited hand only doing half the job and they they absolved him but um there there, there were for years um there was suspicion that maybe hunt was one of the three tramps and in, in dallas and based on everything i learned from this hbo series it's totally plausible i, I think say, i think forensics uh have looked into that and everything you know from the oliver true. stone series i thought you were gonna say For, yes. forensic forensics files not forensics files, but like I, I, I facial I recognition I people. <laughs> Spycraft. Come on, man. Spycraft. So but, and on on his deathbed, evidently, Hunt did say things to his two sons, but his um two daughters and his second wife deny that. But according to his two sons, he, he did cop to play in a role. There is a book, uh, which I have not read, but it's kind of like his deathbed, quote-unquote, confessional book. Um, but maybe, I don't know. Mike, it sounds like that's up your alley. So um, I, I, want, I want to believe. Yeah. Who's the rat? Yeah. Um, so uh, I wouldn't say rat. <laughs> the, uh, the, I like the, the, are we at the point where the, the, so the cop, he calls the cop, security guard calls the cops. Um, were they undercover in real life, these plain, or plain clothes? Yeah, the, yeah. The, these... This is just incompetence. Uh, it's pretty amazing that, uh, you know, these guys are like supposedly really good covert agents or whatever. Um, there's a few issues. Okay. Number one, the two guards that I mentioned earlier that are never shown in the actual show, they are eliminated for this mission to save money. So they are not there. Oh. They would have been there to look out and kind of tip off the dudes that are breaking in if they had... They weren't just trying to save a buck, so but, uh, austerity strikes again. Yeah, there you go. Hey, if Reaganomics uh, worked, middle class would be as large as the sun right now instead of shrinking. Um, the plan is that Cubans and uh, are going to go in, access the files. McCord's going to fix the transmitter. The bug that was placed on the wrong phone in real life, the fake smoke detector, was going to be put in this mission, not the mission prior. Ugh. Gosh, get it right, HBO. Um, when they attempt to access via the garage, the tape had been removed. They picked the lock. This is when Hunt expresses his desire to abort. Liddy didn't think they um, would tape the door again because it would be unlocked. 
they don't actually vote. Liddy decides to do it. We went over that. Oh, they meant they show an antenna in the show. Right. In real life, it's not. They do have an antenna Tiny to to one. help. Uh, it's a smaller, much smaller antenna. Um, how do they get caught? They burglars turn the gain down because of the static noise that the walkie-talkie was making. You know that sort of sound. You think they have an earpiece or something? So they turn that down which is why they never hear the warning that comes later. So the guy, um, Alfred Baldwin, was that, was that his name? Baldwin. Alec Baldwin. Alfred Baldwin. Nice. Across the street Stephen is a little bit distracted by, you know, like know, some stupid like monster movie on TV. So he doesn't notice it right when the cops actually get there, but he does no- see, hey, there's uh, – People on the eighth floor with flashlights, unit three to unit maybe one. Maybe cleaners. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you know, Hunt and Liddy think, okay, it's maybe just the security dudes doing their check. Uh, unit three to unit one, they are on the seventh floor now. And they start thinking, okay, well, that's what a security. Are they, are they, are they really dressed like hippies? Well, then, then it's, I'm going to keep doing my impression here. Uh, unit three to unit one. Um. Are any of our guys dressed like hippies? <laughs> and that's when Hunt and Liddy know, oh, no, something bad is happening now. No, they're all dressed in suits. What are you talking about, hippies? And it's like, uh, Unit 3 to Unit 1, uh, they've all got guns. But are they are they peeing on the rug if they're dressed like hippies? <laughs> so, Good callback. So they, they are nabbed, um, and they just Unit 2... The burglars just call in, they've got us. That's all they ever call in and say. Yeah, and um, what uh, we failed to say is that in the show, the show, uh, the, the one of the one of the motifs going through this episode and previous is that you know that Hunt is obsessed with like the 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 clubhouse and you know being at the right one and paying the dues to 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 stay with the right people, and he gives an envelope. Uh, to one of the one of the Cubans to drop in the mail with the cash for the um, the overdue it, bill. His overdue bill yeah, for he, the country club. He's in arrears for the country club. You know, um, HH the the John Belushi country club or <laughs> the yeah, right, nice Dan Aykroyd. Aykroyd. Yeah. Dan Aykroyd. Um and uh, yeah then they they're they put that in a baggie and you realize like oh no we got a, we got a smoking gun on our hands. Uh, and uh, fade out. Yep. On the episode. Yep. The envelope thing's bullshit. Um, Hunt's name was being carried in like an address book by one of them who was caught. So that's how that connection is made. But that's getting into the next episode, I think. Um, the three birds. Uh, another thing. Yeah. Another thing I was wondering if it, if it was bullshit was um, the uh, the interaction with um, James Ingleton and. Um, uh the the narrative of Liddy um just being at odds with the CIA establishment guys and wanting wanting to be in that group. Yeah, I don't I don't know enough about I mean we know Hunt felt he was on he had hit a glass ceiling because of the pigs. Um mm-hmm. crash tag may have but um yeah uh I mean I could I could see for a, a writer's um, license, I could. That seems true to Liddy, probably. But yeah, I don't. Do you know anything about that, Matt? I, no, I mean, it, it, sure. it, it, it does nice work for like the narrative fiction. I was yeah, how true it was. I mean, you know, I, I got excited when James Ingleton shows up in the club, and uh, you know, Wilderness of Mirrors, like counterintelligence super spy. Um, yeah. Uh, did Did he have beef with? Uh, did he and Hunt have beef? So I'm not sure. I was gonna do a bit of a dive on on him actually because he's got a really fascinating life. But then I was they like, probably did because he was radioactive. Plenty you know. to talk about, so I didn't do it. But yeah, he had one job. He had, he had one job. One job. <laughs> Tell I, me uh, about America. Yeah. Like, if I don't learn it from you. I'm learning it from HBO. Well, let me tell you about three of the Cubans here, um, and our Italian American friend. Uh, Bernard Barker, born in Cuba to a Russian-American father and a Cuban mother. His ties to hunt date to the Bay of Pigs. Uh, Eugenio Martinez was said to have infiltrated Cuba hundreds of times on CIA missions to plant anti-Castro agents there or to extract vulnerable Cubans. 
How'd that work out? Uh, worked out well. He's the only figure in the scandal besides Nixon to be granted a presidential pardon. So that's interesting. Uh, quoting him, I wanted to cast, uh, topple Castro, and unfortunately I toppled the president who was helping us, Richard Nixon. Womp, womp, womp. Eric, where's your button? Frank Sturgis we mentioned already, and then the other one is uh, Virgilio um, <laughs> Gonzalez. He's a locksmith from Miami, a uh, Cuban refugee. Is Sturgis an Italian name? It's an American name. I mean, they, they, you're from... I don't think the Dakotas or Wyoming or thereabouts, <laughs> those square states. I mean, is that's where sort of Sturgis is, right? I mean, it's Harley's. Sturgis doesn't sound. It sounds Germanic to me, but yeah, I don't know. I don't think it's no, Italian nor, name. Nor, nor, northern Italy. Yeah, maybe they're taking license. Maybe, maybe, maybe he, maybe he's Italian, but he was born in '44. 43 or 44. Speaking of taking <laughs> right. license, uh, they show outpost guy, Alfred Baldwin, at the uh, Howard Johnson uh, bolting out of there when, when Hunt and Liddy bolt their hotel room. Uh, in real life, he is told to turn out the lights and stay there until your contacted Hunt actually goes up later that night and says, okay, that, get all this shit out of here. And then he, does, then he that, leaves. Isn't that where Enrique Tario was staying on January 6th? What's it? No. At the Howard Johnson? Oh, no, because he was banned. Hojo? He was banned from DC, so he couldn't. He wasn't there. Yeah. Well. Again, I I'm unfamiliar with this country. <laughs> Those are all the fact checks I have for now. Hey, so how are we? How are speaking of facts? How are how are how are the facts uh, checking out with us? How are we liking this episode? I I was. I'll go first. I was. I was excited. I'm like, man, I wanted, you know, the next, cause we're, we're hitting, uh, we're hitting, um, we're peaking at the right time in terms of, uh, what's going to happen next. Um, I, I'm, I'm still enjoying it. Good, good festival policy there. Peak at the right time. Yes. <laughs> Mike's burning man, uh, check out his manual on, uh, uh, all the burning man, um, ways to go. Me, yeah. Me, me and Elizabeth Holmes hanging out in burning man. <laughs> I'm enjoying it. Uh, I think it's been pretty steady, pretty consistent episode to episode. I think they've all been solid. So uh, no complaints. I was disappointed that I could not find a clear family connection. <laughs> to, to anything involved in uh, Watergate? The Van, the Van family. Somehow the Van family. Uh, you got that uh, cello? There, if there are any Filipinos involved somehow, uh, maybe there could be a... Or Hawaiian any, any, connection. Any, any ex 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 presidents for life in need of a realtor. Uh, yeah, yeah. We we really get that full story. Will that be next episode? Yeah. Or is that uh, a fam- will that we'll go down to family out. secrets? Yeah. We'll see how this plays out. Okay, it's gonna go down like the Tiger Bomb story. <laughs> oh no, I got a story. I know I posted this on Twitter. My uh, my dad uh, was a professor at the University of Hawaii, at, uh, John Burns or Frank Burns uh, Medical School. And uh, he had a, his office was this Glaston office looking over the lab that he supervised the graduate students. And um, yeah, as, as long as I can remember. So like when I was four or five years old, he had this poster up that uh, said wanted. And it was the the famous poster with like 16 of the Watergate um, suspects and it said apprehended, 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 except for Nixon's face. Oh, nice. Um, and <laughs> I remember, I remember the graduate students loving that, and some of his colleagues not being very happy with that. But there was also a lot of other stuff going on at the University of Hawaii Medical School in the early nineteen mid nineteen seventies. Human experiments. It was a, gene- it was a, genet- it was a genetics lab, oh. and uh, boy, were um, they really interested in horticulture and uh, genetics in Hawaii. And I'll leave it at that. Wow. Um, well, Done. stay tuned. Done. And, and scene. Yeah. Well, that's how that's, that's, uh, was it Sweet Bud? They were, was it, was this, was this uh, MK Ultra related? Was there, uh, yeah, yeah. We're all volunteers. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, join us. Stay tuned for, uh, for the next installment of uh, the White House Plumbers. BB yeah. Palm. It will also be a mini, just like this one was. Yeah, a little, short little episode. Um, hey, speaking of little episodes of podcasts you might want to listen to, yeah, 
I heard a really fascinating conversation on the New Books Network. You don't say. With a certain Dr. Uh, Matthew Yeagle oh, about. I've heard of him. Uh, a, a little book called Khmer Nationalist. And you might want to skip on over to the New Books Network and look this up. Check out that. And and they've got a lot of other really cool. Uh, have we tweeted that? We have. Yeah. We have. Um, so, yeah, check out check out at Napalm Podcast Twitter feed. Um for links to that and uh they've got a lot of a lot of interesting stuff over there at new books network so yeah that would be great uh and i appreciate uh all of the uh kind Avail- words available um, at a fine bookstore or amazon yeah my book is available at many fine bookstores and also amazon so you can dethrone the top book in asian history uh the great hunt red hunt by yeah. by mass purchasing yeah, buy in bulk. That's how the uh, Republican politicians get their books uh, to number one on the New York Times bestseller list. So please do the same for me. Yeah, good fucking luck with that dethroning me. You're not, you're not going to rat fuck me. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see you next time, the folks. Great, the great Hanoi, the great Hanoi rat fuck. <laughs> That's uh, yeah, part two. Okay. Yeah, we'll go. Enjoy your evening. I'll bet you could suck a golf ball through a garden hose. Let me worry about that green beret. Napalm in the morning. Your first, last, and only podcast for the Vietnam War through film.